Our scripture reading this evening, this afternoon, is Hebrews chapter 1 through chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last times spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath appointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall be wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who shall be heirs of salvation? And now in chapter 2, the first four verses, that's the text for the sermon as well. Pay particular attention, therefore, to these words. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. 
God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So far we read God's holy word. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, as the the title of the book, which is a man-made title, all the books in the Bible are given names by men, but as the title nonetheless indicates, this is a letter written to Jews, Hebrews. Not generally, but to Christian Jews. To Jews who converted from their Old Testament religion to faith in Jesus Christ. These are the ones who received this. And and this epistle is written because these Jews who had converted were experiencing persecution and trouble. Their own families were rejecting them. Their friends no longer wanted to associate with them. They were no doubt suffering economically. And they began to wonder, maybe we should go back to what we've been taught from our youth. Maybe this new religion isn't true. Maybe Jesus is not the Messiah. So this book is written, this inspired letter is written to these kinds of people. And that's why it starts out the way it does, immediately saying, look at this Jesus. Look at this Jesus. This is the one that God determined to speak to. This is the one who redeemed us. He's the one who created the worlds. He is glorious. Look at this this Savior. And to to show the glory of the Savior, the, the chapter then goes on to compare Jesus to the angels. Now angels are mighty creatures. They're they're far greater than we are. They're powerful. But compared to Jesus, They're servants. They're ministering spirits. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the one whom God said, sit down on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So that's chapter 1. And now we start with chapter 2 with the word, therefore, or more literally, on account of this, on account of this, on account of what we just read here in chapter 1, namely, first of all, that this Jesus is far greater than the angels. Far greater than the angels. The angels were messengers of God, and, and when an angel of God appeared in the midst of the people, I tell you, they sat up and took notice. This was no ordinary appearance. An angel came and talked to you, you would take notice and you would listen carefully to what he had to say. On account of Jesus being greater than the angels. And then, secondly, because of the way the book started out, God spoke now, he speaks now through his Son. Because God speaks through his Son, and because his Son is far greater than the angels, on account of that, says the text, we ought to take heed, more earnest heed, to the things which we have heard. The things that we have heard. The things that we have heard are not gossip. They're not the latest blog post. They're not the latest newscast. 
the things that we have heard are the things of salvation. It's the word of God which is preached to us. That's the things we have heard. And now the admonition comes to all of us today. Take earnest heed to the preaching of the gospel. That's the theme for the sermon then, taking heed to the preached word. We'll notice in the first place the meaning of that, the preached word and, and, and all what that involves. Secondly, the necessity of taking heed to the preached word. And finally, the warning, the warning against not taking heed. The things that we have heard refer to God's announcement, particularly about salvation. You see that if you look at verse 1, where it says, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. And then in verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and then confirmed by those that heard him? So it's the, the message of Jesus Christ. It's the word of salvation. The preaching is God's way of speaking to his people. Christ himself speaking to his people and revealing to us who this great God is. God's speech to us. In the preaching, he reveals the glorious gospel of salvation. And we know that gospel means good news. <clears throat> That's what it means. Good news, ordinarily in our life, generally, when we think of good news, good news is, is something that gives us relief from something that's bad. If we hear that a loved one has been involved in a car crash, but then we get the good news that our loved one was not hurt. That's good news. Or if we discover a lump on our body and we go into the, the doctor and, and they do a, a, an examination, and he says, no, don't worry, it's not cancer, it's nothing to worry about. That's good news. When you have some horrible evil that presents itself to you and then someone says, no, no, that's, you don't have to be concerned about that. That is good news. Now, the gospel is good news to sinners because sinners are guilty before God. He has a guilt. Every sinner has guilt First of all, from his first father, Adam. And then he has guilt from his own sins, a thought word indeed. Their guilt that mound up as a mountain before God's judgment seat. And the punishment for sin is death, eternal death. That's what guilt brings. And that sinner has no way of getting out of that guilt. He has no way of getting away from it. He is condemned by the law. He is condemned by the righteous judgment of God. And the punishment is eternal wrath. God's eternal wrath is unspeakable, horrible pain, body and soul. This is a pain and suffering such as nothing in this life can even begin to compare. People sometimes say that he went, we went through hell. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. There is nothing in this world as bad 
as hell. It is the blackness of death. It is a time and eternity without any comfort, without any fellowship. It is the wrath of God raging against the sinner. It is a wrath that consumes from without. It is a wrath that is drunk and that is pain and sorrow and misery from within. It is holy and just wrath, a punishment that is absolutely, totally proper. It could not be any different because God is holy. Too pure of eyes to behold iniquity. And when the holiness of God encounters sin, it can only be wrath. Wrath. That's all it can be. Because God is holy. The punishment is eternal because it is against the infinite majesty of God. People of God, that ought to make us to tremble. Because we are all sinners. And we are guilty before God. The psalmist exhorts the earth to tremble at the presence of God. The psalms exhort the believer to tremble before at the goodness of God. How much more should not a sinner tremble at the thought of the wrath of God that we deserve? Paul did. Paul said, we, knowing the terror of the Lord, persuade men. Because he knew the dreadfulness of God's wrath against his sin, what that horrible wrath was like, when he was converted, he tried to persuade men to forsake their sins and to believe the gospel. Sin offends the mighty God. Hebrews chapter 10 speaks of how dreadful it is to fall into the hands of an angry God. An angry God. Sin brings the wrath of God. The God who is your creator. The God who is everywhere present. The God who knows everything. That wrath comes upon the sinner. He hates sin. He cannot let, let it go. He cannot. And here we are, born dead in sin. Dead in sin. Does that not make you to dread the wrath of God? His terrifying wrath. You know how utterly terrifying it is? When Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane looked into the pit of hell, he sweat blood and he pleaded three times if it be possible let this cup pass from me and he was holy he had no sin of himself he was bearing our guilt but the thought of the horrible wrath of God pressed upon him so fearfully 
the good news, unspeakably good news for the sinner is there is deliverance from that wrath. There is deliverance from that eternal wrath of God. Zechariah said that's why his son was coming to the world to proclaim, to prepare the way for the one to give knowledge, he says in, in Luke chapter 1, to give the knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercies of our God. Knowledge of forgiveness, the remission of their sins. Paul testified to the Thessalonians in his second epistle, God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through, by our Lord Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel is that the cross of Jesus Christ is the removal. That's where our sins were paid for. That's where the wrath was endured. That's where the, the sins are removed from our account. We are justified. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the good news. There is rather forgiveness, not guilt, not a weighing down of wrath, but salvation to those who are eternally loved in Jesus Christ, eternally chosen in him, and then redeemed in his cross and precious blood. This is the word. This is the word that is preached. But there's more to it. Because you all recognize that good news sometimes is negative from the point of view, well, the person who was in the accident is not hurt, or the cancer, is, the, the, the lump that you have is not cancer. But sometimes you have good news that's positive. Positive good news. You just got a promotion at work. That's positive good news. Or you just got a scholarship that you can go to college now because you've got all this money in a scholarship. Or someone gives you thousands of dollars, a gift so amazing that you, you don't even know what to think. It's a, it's, it takes your breath away. What a, what a generous gift has been given to you. And the salvation of the scriptures is not merely negative, that there is deliverance from sin, but it's positive. And the positive is that God will take you into his own fellowship and bless you. This God who has the power to thrust down into hell eternally in wrath also has the power to lift up to the highest blessedness beyond anything that this world can offer you. That's the good news also. The favor of God, which is infinite, the love of God, which has no limit to it, who seeks the blessedness of those whom he loves unceasingly. He is determined to dwell with his people, to show them that love and, and that blessedness. These are the blessings of salvation, which really should make us to tremble too, to think what God promises in the gospel. 
And yet there's more. Because if this good news is truly to be good news, then we understand that it must be a gift from God which is absolutely free. Because if you have to do something to get it, if you have to earn it somehow, then suddenly you realize, I can't. I can't. I can't earn anything. I can't merit with God. I can't pay Him anything. I can't. It has to be a free gift, and it is. There is nothing in this salvation that depends on you. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. There is no condition that you must fulfill. There is no certain level of of obedience or morality that you have to maintain, otherwise you'll lose your gift. There isn't anything in your salvation that depends on you. Nothing. It is all a free gift. Simply because it is the Father's good pleasure to give it. And then, besides that, It is not even a gift that is kind of out there that I have to reach out there and kind of pull it in, available to me if, if only I can pull it in. No. Salvation is a power of God that he works in his people. He works it in them. He gives faith that unites to Jesus Christ. This faith becomes active, certainly does. It reaches out and and embraces Christ, but not as if he's out there and I have to go get him. But it, it embraces this Christ as my Savior. The faith does that. By the power of God, we are changed so that we love him. We begin to hate sin. Paul tells the Philippians, work out your own salvation. Work it out. Why? Because God is working in you. He's working in you the the will. He's working in you the doing. Now live out of that. That's the content of the things we have heard. That is to say, the proclamation, the preaching of the gospel. The Lord God, the Lord Jesus himself spoke it in his public ministry. And his disciples heard him. And Jesus then sent them out into the all of Israel, sent them out with this message, and they went out preaching the gospel. Listen to the preaching of the apostle Peter, for example, in Acts chapter 4. Acts 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, talking about Jesus, There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, only in him. Or Paul later on in chapter 13 of Acts in his preaching. Acts chapter 13, verse 26, he says, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of salvation sent. Well, what is that word? He goes on to explain it. In verse 32, he says, And we declare unto you the glad tidings, the gospel, glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same 
unto their children and that he hath raised up Jesus from the dead. And he says again in that same sermon, verse 38, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians again in chapter 2, says, God has chosen you unto salvation. Election unto salvation. That's the good news. God determined to speak that word. That's the word we have heard. It is spoken with authority. The preaching is spoken with authority because it's the word of Jesus Christ himself. He's telling you these things. When I report something to you in the preaching of the gospel, it is Jesus Christ affirming that to you. It isn't merely me telling you about something. It is Jesus himself telling you the good news. Because he uses churches to call men, to ordain them into office, and then send them out to preach that gospel. They preach the word of Christ. Essentially the same word that he spoke in his public ministry. Jesus said the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. And that's the message of the gospel. Jesus, our Savior. The text says to you and me, take heed to that word. Take heed to it. The scripture says the same thing elsewhere. In Acts chapter 16, for example. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. A certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. She listened to the gospel that Paul brought to her. Or in First Peter chapter, rather Second Peter chapter one, verse nineteen. Second Peter one verse nineteen says this: We also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that you take heed. You do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Take heed to that which you hear. Listen to it. Follow it. Believe it. Obey it. That's the word. Specifically, I'm taking earnest heed to the way to the gospel is taking heed to the the way that God has laid out the way of salvation, embracing Jesus Christ, living out of the faith that you receive through the preaching of the gospel. Live out of that because in your daily life, tomorrow as you go forth, you have a couple of choices, basically two. You can live out of that old man of sin, and that's the way I'm going to wake up tomorrow, and that's the way you're going to wake up. Our natural inclination is to follow our old man, to follow that. And that, that leads to sin. And that brings us farther and farther away from God and increases our guilt and our, and our fellowship with God suffers greatly. 
when we walk in sin. That's one option. We're prone to that. That's why we need this kind of an admonition. Take heed. The other option is that we live out of the new man. That we live out of the life of Jesus Christ. That we make choices, deliberate choices, not to go that way, rather to go this way. Live out of the life of Jesus Christ. Take heed to the things that you have heard. You see how important this word is then to these Jewish Christians who were thinking maybe we made a mistake. Maybe we shouldn't have followed the way of Christianity. Maybe we should go back to all our old ceremonies. All our friends are doing that. All our family is doing that. That seems to be the way. Maybe we ought to go back to that. And the message is, no. No. Don't go back from that. Take heed to the word that you have heard. Jesus Christ, he is the Messiah. There is no other salvation. Grab hold of that by faith. Don't let it go. As a drowning man who is thrown a life ring and he's hanging on to it for dear life, that's the way we should be clinging to Jesus Christ. We, we don't think we're drowning, do we? We think we're doing quite well in this world. The reality is we'll go under in a second without Jesus Christ. Faith holds on to him. It clings to him. The text indicates why this is necessary. Why is it so necessary to take heed to the things we have heard? Well, first of all, because it is a sure word you don't want to listen to someone who's feeding you a, a line of nonsense. But if it's true, you better listen to it. How do we know that this is true? We know it's true, first of all, because what is, is said in verse 3. It, it is the great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. This is the message from Jesus himself, who is truth. It is true, therefore. We've already demonstrated that he said that, but just think once of what it was like when he stopped under the sycamore tree and looked up at Zacchaeus and said, This day is salvation come to this house. This day is salvation come to this house. Jesus brings salvation. <coughs> And then it was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, by his disciples. His disciples who spent three and a half years following Jesus, listening to every sermon he preached, and then being able privately to ask him questions about it, and then receive more private instruction from him so that they would understand the message. And he could send them out to preach that glorious gospel of salvation. And just before he ascended up into heaven, he promised them the spirit that would give them more understanding, lead them into the truth. And he said, now you go out 
go out into all the world and teach them the things that I taught you. That's the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. They would bring, therefore, the same message, and they wrote down the same message for us. So that, in the first place, you know the gospel is true because it's the word that Jesus spoke, and the apostles confirmed that word to us. And then in verse 4, we have another reason that shows how necessary it is. Because there it says, after the apostles now bring the word, God also bearing them witness. God bore witness on what they were saying. How? With signs and wonders and divers miracles, which are all gifts of the Holy Ghost, as the Holy Ghost would, would give it to them. Those three words, which are signs and wonders and divers miracles, or really mighty works would be the better translation for the last words, signs, wonders, and mighty works, those are the three words that describe miracles. God confirmed the preaching of the apostles with miracles. Now, miracles confirm it for a number of reasons, because of what they are, first of all. They're signs, and they're not arbitrary signs, just as a man could say, you know, just create, do some great thing. No, it's, it's this particular sign, which is something visible that points to something you cannot see. When Jesus did a miracle, he was pointing to the power, his saving power, which you couldn't see by looking at him. When he would have a lame man able to walk, it pointed to his saving power that enables a believer, dead in sin, to walk in obedience. When he cleansed a leper, it was a sign of his saving power to take the corruption away from us and make us to be pure and whole. Miracles are signs that point to the saving work of Jesus Christ. They are also wonders. And a wonder emphasizes the amazing nature of it. It's something you don't see every day. When Jesus would go to the tomb of Lazarus and say, Lazarus, come forth, that is such an astounding thing that people talked about it for all over Israel for days and weeks and months because it was so astounding. It's a wonder, something God does not ordinarily do that draws your attention to it and you can't forget it. That's what a miracle is. It's a sign pointing to the power of Jesus to save. It is an amazing work. And then a mighty work, a mighty work emphasizes the, just the raw power, the power of God to save. Mark chapter 16, verse 20 says this, And they went forth, the apostles, preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. 
He confirmed the word that they preached with miracles. Now, understand this is, this is very important to see that this is the way God worked. And it demonstrates the importance of preaching. That God would confirm their preaching with miracles. That's how important preaching is. Now this text is crucial in our controversy with the Charismatics because the Charismatics teach that the Holy Spirit still gives these gifts. The ability to do miracles and the ability to speak in tongues. But this text is saying, no, you're wrong. That's not what the Spirit does today. Because there was a time when that was needed when the preaching of the apostles had to be confirmed with miracles, but we don't need that today. Why not? It's because they did not have the whole scripture. And if Peter would come and preach about Jesus, about his birth, his life, his miracles, and his suffering and death and his resurrection, there would be no Bible to confirm that. The, the Gospels weren't written yet. Acts wasn't written yet. The Epistles weren't written yet. There was no way of confirming his preaching. So God confirmed it with miracles. But today that's not necessary, totally unnecessary. It would divert our attention away from the Word. Take heed to the Word which you have heard. And if I come here and preach, you can check everything that I say. Open up the Bible. You can see if I'm preaching the truth or if I'm preaching something that's my own opinion or something that's contrary to the Word of God, you can check it. You don't need miracles to confirm that I'm speaking the truth. That's why miracles don't exist today. Not the miracles of that they're talking about. Miracles of regeneration, absolutely. God can still do wonderful things, but these kinds of miracles are not needed. God does not give them to confirm the preaching any longer. Nonetheless, in that day he did, because he confirmed the word which Jesus spoke, and then the apostles preached with miracles to say this is truth listen up it's that important do you see then that we don't need them but the point is too how important the preaching is the bible is complete don't look for any new revelation. You don't need anything more. This, this will give you everything you need to know about God, everything you need to know about salvation. It's all here in the scriptures. And the preaching is simply this book now explained, drawn out, taught. And Jesus speaks through the preaching. And he's telling you what he has accomplished, what you must believe, what you must hold on to. Take earnest heed. Because this is such a serious matter, 
And because we are prone not to take heed, the text gives us a very strong and compelling warning. In fact, there are three warnings given in these verses. In the first place, in verse 1, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now, that's that last phrase, lest at any time we should let them slip, is a very difficult, a very difficult Greek phrase to translate. But I don't believe the King James captured it there. Because more literally, it is lest at any time we should be swept by. Lest at any time we should be swept by or glided by. And the idea is that you're standing there and something goes past you. It doesn't pick you up. It doesn't carry you. It, it glides by you. Now, the way to understand that is to think of the preaching that is symbolized in the parable where Jesus said the, the, the preaching of the word is like a drag net that is drawn through the sea and it collects fish. That's what preaching does. It collects God's elect people. Those chosen eternally unto salvation are collected by the preaching of the gospel. If that net does not pick someone up, then that person is left behind, not saved, will not go to heaven, will never believe in Jesus Christ. That's the warning here. Take heed lest you be swept by, that you are not caught up into the net, so to speak. That's the first warning because those who are left behind are not saved. That's how crucial it is. Second, verse 2. If the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. A just recompense of reward reminds us that the word of the angels was firm. When God sent the angels with a word to speak to his people, this was no, this was no laughing matter. This was nothing to dismiss. You think of the angels that came to Sodom and came to Lot and told Lot, God is going to destroy this city and everything in it. Get out. Spoke that to Lot, to his wife, to his daughters that were there, to the daughters that were married and the sons of law. Get out of Sodom. God will destroy all of this city. You will perish here if you stay here. That was the word the angels brought. And most of them mocked. They laughed at the word that the angels brought. And they perished. What the angel said was firm. 
You don't simply ignore what an angel says. It receives a just recompense of reward. The just recompense of reward is normally a, a, it's a payment of wages, really. It's, this is what you've earned. The wages of sin is death. The wages of those who ignore the word of God, it's death. But now it's broader than merely angels coming and saying something to you because the reality is, think about this, the law of God was given to Moses by angels. The whole of God's will is revealed and given to Moses by means of angels. And that's what Israel discovered when they thought they could ignore the word of God, the commandments of God, they were judged. Every, every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. When in the wilderness they disobeyed, they were plagued. When they came to Canaan and God said, go into the land, I will give it to you. And they didn't believe. God sent them out 40 years into the wilderness until everyone 20 years old and older died. When they worshipped idols in Canaan, God sent the enemy upon them and oppressed them for years. Every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense. God is not mocked. Listen to what he says. So the first warning is, those who do not take heed, the gospel may sweep them right on by. Those who do not obey that, that gospel of God that he preaches to you will receive a just recompense. And the third warning is in verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How shall we escape? To neglect is to make light of it. To make light of it. Jesus spoke of that in a parable when he said that a man prepared a great wedding feast and he called, he invited his neighbors and called them to come to the great feast. Matthew chapter 22. And the call came and it was ignored. That's what it means that we neglect. They ignored it. They made light of it. They continued on with their earthly activities and they refused to go and answer the call, the invitation, the call to go to the wedding feast. And that was utter, utter folly. They would find no place, therefore, in that wedding feast. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, spoken by Christ himself, confirmed by the apostles, preached to us week after week after week? How shall we escape? So what does this warning mean for us? What do these warnings mean? Well, first of all, all who ignore this, all who simply disregard the preaching of the gospel, the gospel, the good news of salvation, 
who think it's not important, not something they need to take heed to, not something they need to believe and then live according to it, they will perish. They will not escape the judgment of God. They will perish eternally in hell. That's the, the warning to anyone who does not believe in Jesus as the only Savior, who does not believe in the cross as the only payment for sin. That's why it's put in the, in the question form. How shall we escape? And the answer is, you will not. You will not escape. That the point of the question is to drive that home, that point home. You will not escape. You and I need to hear this admonition to take heed. Now, perhaps you object, but wait a minute. I, I'm a believer. I can't be lost. Why do I need to hear this? I, I, I'm saved. And my response to that is, it is true that every believer will never perish. That's your salvation. That's the good news. Every believer that is connected to Jesus Christ has his life. That cannot be lost. The life of Jesus Christ will never die. It's, in, it's an eternal life. And those who are in Jesus Christ God will save that person, will, that will cause him to persevere to the end. No question about that. We don't want in any way to call that into question. Yet, the call still comes to you and to me. This is the word of God to us, not merely to those Jews back there who were thinking. Because we, too, are prone not to take heed to the preaching. We're prone to that. We can be so careless with our spiritual life. So careless. The things of the world can be so important. We want to make sure we maintain our health, our wealth, our good times, our good food, our home. But what about our spiritual life? How much effort are we putting into that? How important is that to us? We hear the preaching. We go outside. Might even say a good sermon, and that's about it. And then we're on to this world, on to the things of this life. And now, Monday through Saturday, it's all about this world. Did we take heed then? Just because we paid attention for an hour twice on Sunday, is that it? Doesn't take heed mean a whole lot more than that? Doesn't it mean carrying it out with us, out the door, into our life tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday? That's, that's the issue. That's, what, that's why you and I need to hear this. Because that has spiritual consequences. It has a just recompense. We become spiritually weaker because our faith becomes weaker. Our faith 
isn't being strengthened as it ought to be if we were taking heed, walking in this, living this life. Our faith would become stronger and stronger, but without that it becomes weaker and weaker. And we're not even conscious of it. We're not clinging to Christ. We do not see our needs, do not recognize what a terrible offense our sins are against God. And what a, how much we need a Savior, Jesus Christ. We then too are not filled with joy over spiritual things. Our joy is in earthly things. It's in great food. It's in basketball. It's in the things of this world. That's where our joy is. Instead of being overflowing with joy over our God, over our life with Him. Take heed. There is a very interesting verse in the Bible that says, Preaching is the power of God unto salvation in them that believe. So we're all talking about believers here. In believers... Preaching is the power of God that brings you ultimately to heaven. You and I need that. That's the power that God uses to hold you fast, to, to perfect you, to cause you to grow in the knowledge and love of God and bring you ultimately to heaven. The power of God in every, unto salvation in everyone that believeth. If we do not take heed to it, then God may well take it away. If preaching isn't that important to you, why should he give it to you? And then you will perish in your generations. The preaching sets forth the glorious salvation accomplished. Glorious salvation. Take earnest heed to the things that you have heard. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee for that great salvation, unspeakably glorious salvation from sin, from death, from hell itself into eternal life with thee forgive our foolishness of thinking the things of this world are so important and of not recognizing the glory that is given to us in this amazing salvation this we pray for jesus sake amen